2: Mets fans. welcome to episode 276 of Amazing Avenue Audio, the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. My name is Brian Salvatore. Thank you for joining us this week for a show about how the Mets are good. The Mets are ten and one. The Mets have the best record in baseball. The Mets are in first place. The Mets are a balanced team that is doing. I mean, they're just doing so many things right right now. It's it's great. It's been a really fun first two weeks of the season and Chris McShane and I are here to tell y'all about it. So here we go. So this is fun, huh? Yeah. Welcome back. <laughs> Thank you. It's uh I was legitimately worried and I am not a superstitious guy, but I was legitimately worried that my presence would somehow jinx the Mets into uh snapping this uh this hot start, but I needn't have worried. The Mets are uh had the best record in baseball right now. They're 10 and 1. They have won eight games in a row. They have swept a road trip of six games or more for the first time since 1991, according to the broadcast tonight. Everything is going well, for the most part, with a couple of minor exceptions we'll talk about in a minute. Um, When was the last time you remember feeling this optimistic about the Mets this early in a season?
1: Uh I guess I'm going back to 2015, you know, just um that winning streak and, and we touched on it a bit last week too, you know, but that that was a legitimately fun thing and it was kind of the same position we're in now, it was a little bit later in the season. Um, you know, the season didn't start in March that year. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it was I think the 3rd week of the season by the time they really had started racking up wins. Uh, but you had this similar sense of, hey, these are games that they can't have taken away from them. And, you know, to get this right off the bat is just, uh, it's incredible. So on on this particular date, I don't know if I've ever felt this good about a team. <laughs> <laughs> I guess 2006 started um, similarly, you know. Yes. Uh, and eight, then... and one, eight and one start followed by just complete dominance for the entire season.
2: Yeah, and then in in 2007, I think we all believed that the team was going to go back to the playoffs, you know, uh, not just that year, but but for a couple of years because the team seemed built for long-term success. So even if the record didn't reflect it at this point in 2007, I think I probably felt probably even more optimistic in April of 2007 just because we saw what this team could do in the you know, the year before, and if if just a couple of things had gone right late in the season, injury wise, who knows what what 2006 could have been for the Mets? So, you know, oh yeah, uh, it, in terms of optimism, I, I was probably pretty close in 2007. But what's so exciting about this for me is that look, we know the Mets aren't going to win. You know, there was a sign of the game tonight. You know, it said "Go Mets" 161 and one and well, you know, we'd all love to see that. That's obviously never going to happen. But what I think has been so refreshing is that it first of all, the team is is playing to to my eyes just a much crisper version of baseball than they were playing the last couple of seasons. You can blame that on Terry Collins or, you know, reward that on Mickey Callaway. There's a lot of there's a lot of reasons for all that. But the biggest thing to me is just that This team right now is looking so balanced. That's what has me so excited. It's not one player carrying the team right now. This looks like a team that is just very deep and different guys each night are are making it happen. The bullpens looks really good. There's just a lot to be excited about right now. And it's not, you know, this isn't the excitement that we had when Cespedes came over and carry the team for a month. You know, it's just a different level of excitement, and it's just so much fun.
1: Yeah, and to your point, you know, it's coming into today, um, you looked at it, and the bullpen had probably been the most outstanding. Uh, You know, I think they had the second or third best DRA among all bullpens in baseball coming into this game tonight. Uh, The starting rotation... Hasn't quite fired on all cylinders yet, but still came into it. I think they were 12th best in ERA and probably not at their peak performance yet. Um, You know, Syndergaard and DeGrom have been fine. They've been good, but they haven't been the Cy Young caliber pitchers that we know they can be. Uh, And then the lineup came in uh, maybe a little bit underrated. I think they were fifth best coming into tonight in uh, weighted runs created. Plus... I know that's not everybody's favorite metric, but just an overall sense of how the team was doing. Uh, well balanced is the best way you can put it, you know. And even when you break it down into more detail, among you know, within each of those three main components of a team, uh, you know, I think individual hitters. There are only one or two guys who had like truly struggled. Uh, you know, maybe a couple guys have been, uh, you know below expectation or, or whatever. But I, I think Reyes and Flores were the only guys who had terrible batting lines coming in. Um, none of the starting pitchers have been awful, even though none have been dominant. Um, you know, in the bullpen, uh, what's the harshest thing you could say? See, Wald is barely pitched, and, you know, Ram has a little bit of a home run problem, I guess. Like, <laughs> yeah. it, it's just, yeah yeah that is that is the best way i can think of putting it and uh it, it gives you hope cuz you know some guys are going to struggle some guys are going to get hurt even if it's minor injuries it's you know it's just something that happens over the course of the season um it, yeah this is a whole lot of fun
2: yeah and you know to be honest with you i don't care if it ever happens for reyes but what's been nice is seeing like you know you mentioned Flores started the year off rough then last night Flores had a really really good game and then tonight you know he he also got a big hit that drove in a run so you're just seeing everybody contributing a little bit aside from Reyes and like I said I really don't care if it doesn't happen for Reyes and that's that <laughs> that, that is partly personal but partly just I I didn't understand them bringing Reyes back You know, uh, there was some internal Slack conversation last night at at Amazing Avenue about the um, the sort of negative reactions some people had to the Asdrubal Cabrera deal that went away, you know, last night. And I think both of us were were pretty pro Cabrera, even with the option being picked up this uh, this winter, but especially with the way everybody else is playing it's really hard to make a case for Reyes to be on this team in the long term.
1: Yeah, yeah. And uh I think defending Cumberra has been more or less the brand for me. <laughs> <laughs> and not not that you haven't, but you know, he's been uh he's been my guy. And may I just say that Hansel Robles, I never really doubted you. Uh <laughs> sure. Yeah. I was just, you know. I, I, I gave in. I gave in to Mets fans. Welcome back. I knew you had it in you.
2: If Mickey Calloway has somehow been able to identify, or Dave Island, to identify what makes Robles good versus not good, goddamn man, what can't he? What can't they do then? If they can do that, what what, what else can they do? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it has been. Um, it, it, it's just been a lot of fun. And I, I think that, you know, Callaway is getting a lot of credit for, for pushing the right buttons and and all of those, you know, cliches about what managers do during a game. But it really does seem like he just... The coaching staff seems to be using players in really intelligent ways. There hasn't been a move yet that looks really boneheaded. You know, there hasn't been a single-game Kapler-esque move yet. Um, obviously, you can argue with the re- the way certain things have played out, or maybe you could say, you know, you wish he stuck with starting pitchers longer, something like that. But, I mean, after 11 games, what's your general impression of, of Callaway?
1: I mean, it's been good. Uh, you know, it's it's hard to come away with any criticism uh, when, it, when things are going this well. Uh, the only move that didn't really work was actually Robles uh coming in facing Bryce Harper in a game that was tied at the time Mets came back as they have been doing regularly here (laughs) uh and and made that not matter and Robles pitched a great inning after that um but yeah that that's pretty much it uh man I hate to even like I (laughs) I I I don't even want to say disappointed Uh, I would Enjoy on a night like tonight. Gazelman comes in and just mows down the Marlins in the eighth, uh, strikes them all out, all three batters he faced. I would have loved to have seen him also pitch the ninth. This is like, these are just minor things. Um, You know, maybe coming off the extra inning game on Sunday night where Gazelman and Lugo went multiple innings. uh, Callaway went into tonight and said, you know, I, I don't want to, do that to either one of those guys again, if I can help it, you know, if, if Wheeler had thrown a hundred pitches in four innings, then, you know, that probably changes the equation, but given the way it goes, uh, you know, it's, I get it, but it just little, little things like that. Uh, and yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't know. And, And I don't know how involved he was in the decision to bring Oswald up, and then send him back down, and send Nemo, Nemo down in the process. Nemo getting demoted is probably like my one complaint about the season so far.
2: Yeah, we should talk about Nemo getting demoted in a second. But before I forget, I want to just briefly touch on Zach Wheeler's performance from tonight. Yeah, because I don't think anybody thought that Wheeler would have the first truly great start for a Met this uh, this season. He went seven innings, gave up one run. Essentially, he threw a bad pitch that got a home run, uh, hit in the first inning, um, and since then kind of cruised and looked really good, did not seem to, and we have to also say, you know, the Marlins lineup is not great, so it's not like this was not him going up against the uh, you know, 27 Yankees or anything and and being dominant, but... You know the the same lineup last night kind of ate up Degrom, and uh, he just looked composed and didn't throw a thousand pitches to get a single out as it sometimes feels like he does. It was just a really really good start from Wheeler, and I didn't have much expectation for Wheeler going into the season, and one start is certainly not going to to change that. But it just gave you an idea of what this team has in terms of pitching depth if everybody still stays healthy. And that's, of course, the world's biggest if. But it was just so refreshing to see, you know, he was missing bats. He was giving up weak contact. He just looked – I mean, this is the best Wheeler's looked. Gosh, I can't even remember the last time he looked this good. Can you?
1: Uh, I mean, it might have been in Miami in 2014 when he, when he threw the shutout. Yeah. Uh, and this this was pretty close. Obviously, he gave up the run early, so it ruled out shutout. But, you know, pretty close to that sort of dominance. Um, you know, he only threw 83 pitches in seven innings. He strikes out seven guys. Um, he got 14 swinging strikes. That's a 16.9% rate. That's really, really good.
2: How many did he walk? Did he walk anybody?
1: One. Wow. Uh, you know, so just – and. It is the Marlins lineup, and I, you know, joked with friends going into the game that, well, you know, hey, he's he gets a triple-A lineup, but it, it's sort of like a half-triple-A lineup. You know, Justin Bohr, Starlin Castro, Derek Dietrich, those are guys who, you know, they are major league players. Uh, you know, they, they're going to get lumped in with the rest of this team because the Marlins are just so bad right now. Uh, but, you know, those are guys who are near the top of the order who Wheeler had to face multiple times. So you know, if I'm looking to give him credit, uh, there's plenty of the lineup that, like you referred to. Um, you know, the night before, I'm kind of frustrated that Degrom's not doing what Wheeler did tonight, right. and then Wheeler goes out and does it. And you know, again, not not uh, concerned at all about Degrom, but it was <laughs> more just sitting there going, "Man, shouldn't what's going on here? Like, why are they making contact?" At all, Uh, you know, and uh, that kind of caught up to him and everything. He's going to be just fine. I've I've learned my lesson years ago now about ever doubting DeGrom. (laughs) But, yeah, that was the best you could hope for from Wheeler. And the latest updates finally sound like they're realistic about when Jason Vargas can come back.
2: Yeah, no more of this five days after uh, breaking his bone in his hand.
1: Yeah, yeah, just, and you know, I I, I wanted them to sign a pitcher. He, he wasn't um my top choice, but I was still glad they did it. You know, this is still a, a guy who I want to come back and be on the roster.
2: It's a good problem to have when they're going to have to find innings for all these guys. As long as they manage it well. And it seems like Callaway is capable of doing that, so... I'm pretty optimistic about that,
1: um, yeah, and everybody just seems to have bought in, uh, and, I, and I know we touched on that a little bit last week too, but you know you, you have a new guy at the helm and a few new faces in the clubhouse, and then you start like this, and there's going to be goodwill to go around for a long time.
2: yeah <laughs> absolutely i uh it it really does feel like there's been a huge cultural shift on the team. And uh, when you look at it, you know, there's a couple of new players, but it's really more or less the same crew from last year. So it just goes to show how much of uh, sort of a, a tonal shift can happen when you get a big personality in there and a manager that seemingly doesn't hate his players. Yeah. <laughs> I I'll,
1: I'll defend. I'll defend Terry a little bit. I don't think he hated his players.
2: <laughs> there were times it felt. Oh, sorry, hated his non-veteran players.
1: Uh, yeah, uh, there, uh. there <laughs> you go. I'm in a good mood. Uh, everybody's great.
2: <laughs> um, I still
1: go back to you know spring training. Uh, not to harp on it too much, but it was just uh, walking around the the fields and the, you know the backfields and the main fields and everything, and having. Omar Minaya, Fred Wilpon, Terry Collins, and Ruben Amaro Jr. Just around, <laughs> it was just a uh, that is a a whole lot of my history of in ba- you know baseball fandom just swirling around the same <laughs> complex. But anyway, yeah, uh, we should probably talk about a the, the, the couple of little
2: um, not so great things that are going on right now. Uh, Travis Darno. Hit the ten-day DL today for a partially torn UCL. There is talk of him possibly needing surgery for it. If that is the case, he will likely miss most, if not all, of the season. Um, that's obviously not great news, especially because Kevin Plawecki has not been hitting the ball all that well as of late. He, um, and then he himself got hit on the hand today with a with a pitch, even though the X-rays came back negative, and he seems to like he'll be okay. Um. You know the the Mets' catching situation is certainly not ideal with one or both of those guys out. They do have Jose Lobatone in the minor leagues, and uh, he is not on the forty man. But if if Darno is transferred to the sixty day DL, that will open up a spot on the forty man. And I am sure if they needed to get him on there, they could they could find a way. Um, I kind of hope that they maybe don't go with Lobatone I kind of hope that they either give Tomas Nito a chance or. I, I meant to look this up before the show, and then uh, I didn't have a chance to. There are, are, I know, still a fair amount of catchers who did not sign with Major League Clubs uh, this offseason, so there's probably a couple of people out there who are of similar or slightly better baseball stock than Jose Lobetone. Um What do you hope they do with the catching situation?
1: Hmm. Well... Uh, I, I know at the time it all went down, I, I think I had checked out who was still out there and whether or not they are still playing, I'm not entirely sure, but I think it was Carlos Ruiz and AJ Ellis were kind of the two names of guys who are on the older side, but, uh, have had success in certain aspects of the game in recent history. Um, I mean, the dream is trade for real Muto, you know, that that's, that's, yeah. That's going to be the popular thing. And, you know, I don't know if they have what it takes to get it done uh, and be comfortable with it afterwards. And, you know, even if you have to give up something of significance to get him, I know the farm system isn't in, like, the greatest shape, but the Marlins probably don't necessarily care if a guy's going to be ready in the next year or two.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, So, you know, if you have to give up something that hurts but is at the lower levels in the minors – and you can get somebody of that caliber, then that would be my preferred plan A. And yeah, I'm operating under the assumption that Darnell will require uh, Tommy John surgery, which, you know, even for a position player, uh, is going to knock you out for a year. The recovery time's a little bit shorter than a pitcher, but. But you, but know. you
2: figure he, he throws more than the average position player is going to be throwing, also. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it it might be longer than if a middle infielder gets gets TJ surgery,
1: right? Which TJ Rivera did.
2: I was hoping you'd pick up on that.
1: Yeah, (laughs) I'm just making sure. You know, (laughs) I don't want it to be lost on the audience here. Uh
2: Um, but yeah, you know, it's it's certainly not ideal. But I also think that that we're in a position. I just did. I hate when people say we in regards to a team they're fans of, because I am not a Mets employee, I shouldn't say we. But um, the Mets are in a position right now where if the rest of their offense is clicking, if they have a defense-first catcher, or or if, if you know, Pulecki is, is calling good game but is only hitting, you know, 210 or something, I can live with that. So, I'm not panicking just yet, catching-wise.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, and... um. I mean, look, maybe we're surprised. Maybe the outcome for Darno is uh, not as severe and it's a rehab and comeback this season kind of thing. Uh, I will say that can be frustrating with a pitcher because you know it's going to be such a long outage. Uh, but because a position player may be able to make it back a little bit quicker, uh, it, it might be easier to be patient with that decision about surgery uh, as a, as a fan. So, you know, we'll, we'll see. Uh, It's a couple of years ago, I probably would have been more upset about it Uh, and I haven't given up on Jono. I've just kind of accepted, you know, who he is. Yeah. Yeah.
2: That's a fair way to put it. Um, The other sort of uh, snafu of the season and you, you mentioned this already is that the Mets, Sent down Brandon Nimmo on Monday to make room for Corey Oswalt, who uh, I believe he got up in the bullpen. I believe he stood up in the bullpen and warmed up a little bit. Did not get a game. Yeah, he
1: was going to come in if that game went longer than it did.
2: Yeah, Uh, but then was sent down today to make room for Zach Wheeler. Um, You know, I I understand that the Mets want Nimmo to get regular at bats. I understand that. What I don't understand is why they couldn't look at the current roster and find a way to get him at bats at the Major League level. Because Nimmo is... I mean, first of all, I don't think Nimo has anything left to prove at AAA. I think he's proven he's a Major League caliber player. And he got off to a really hot start this season. I, uh, I just don't get
1: it. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm right there with you. I think a lot of people were, too. Uh, it's... It's understandable from the playing time perspective to say, oh, look, you know he hasn't played much. He's probably not going to play much. Um, But just looking ahead from the time they made the move, I would love to have Nimmo available, even if he's not going to start, which is a separate topic. He probably should start at least one game in a series like uh, the one that's coming up. But when the Nationals come into town for three games, I would love to have Nimmo available to give you that really strong at bat as your first pinch hitter off the bench. Yeah. Um, you know, and and I just, I, I hope it doesn't come back to bite them. I, it's the fact that he has to stay down for 10 days unless somebody gets hurt. That gets me, you know? Yeah. Uh, so I don't know. It's a, it's just a weird situation where, He, you know, had the best hitting line on the team. Uh, And it's all small samples. I get it. But he comes out and he's just phenomenal at the plate. Uh, And then he has to go spend some time in the minors. And I assume he's not going to come back any later than the 10-day period that he has to stay down. I just wish that he would be around for that next uh, thing. Try to say that 10 times fast. That <laughs> next Nationals series.
2: Yeah. Yeah, what's what's a bit frustrating, too, is that... Not frustrating. It's the wrong word. It's the, actually the opposite of frustrating. I think that the, the perception that some on the team held, and that I certainly held, was that Adrian Gonzalez was going to crash and burn after the first week of the season. And if that's the case, well, then you give Jay Bruce more bats at first, and then that opens up a spot for Nimmo. But Gonzalez has not been terrible. In fact, he's been pretty good. And so that hurts Nimmo's playing time because a perceived negative turns out to be a positive.
1: Yeah, I mean, through tonight's game now, he's got just the one home run. But the just the one home run was a grand slam that gave the Mets a lead against the Nationals on Sunday. Uh, he's driven in the eights. He's got five walks, six strikeouts. Uh, you know, the... Anytime your walk and strikeout numbers are close to each other, you're doing something right. Uh, and he's hitting 296, 406, 444, which, uh, you know, I think is better than anybody thought he was capable of. And he's going to have to do that for a lot longer than this amount of time to really buy into it. But it's a level of production that is similar to the Adrian Gonzalez of old. Yeah. So as long as he is doing that, nobody's going to be calling for Don Smith to come up or for Gonzalez to be benched, uh, you know, on a regular semi-permanent basis. But yeah. I was still encouraged that Bruce, uh, you know, finally took some ground balls at first base and sounds like he's going to continue doing that. You know, it just seems like that's something that I get all the things that go into it not happening in spring training, but it probably should have. And, you know, not as an insult to Gonzalez, but just, hey, what if, you know, early in spring training, Dom Smith is already hurt. Uh, And and at this point in time, you know, we know he's playing in uh, actual games for Las Vegas and going full tilt. But you have that situation. What if Smith doesn't bounce back from this quad thing as quickly as we hope and Gonzalez is bad you know wouldn't you want Bruce to be taking those reps even as an emergency type situation yeah you know say uh, freak things happen in baseball say Gonzalez and one other infielder get hurt in the same game you'd probably want Bruce to be able to go play first and have you know Wilmer Flores slot in at whatever the other position is
2: Say Wilmer Flores fouls a ball off his face again somehow.
1: <laughs>
2: right you know, they, like these these things happen in baseball.
1: Yeah, yeah, there i know there are strange, unexpected injuries in, in uh plenty of sports, but most of the rest of them are high contact games, you know? I mean hockey and football, you can't ever be like, Oh wow, how'd that happen? <laughs> right,
2: like, exactly. <laughs> oh,
1: oh, yeah! The, the the guy going as fast as he could until the other guy got hurt. Oh, wow! What a shock! <laughs> the the, um, the
2: person who is possibly doing irreparable brain damage to his body right now is uh, is getting hurt somehow. How does that happen? Right. Yeah.
1: But but yeah, no. It's it's good to see if Adrian Gonzalez wants to be his twenty fifteen and earlier self. Uh, you know, we can all. We can all get a nice, gigantic apology greeting card together <laughs> and and sign it. Uh, because I, I don't think – I could be wrong. I Maybe I'm not the best follower of everybody else in the Mets internet universe. But was anybody saying anything nice about Gonzalez coming into the season?
2: No, I think the nicest you heard were people saying things not too dissimilar to what we were saying, which is, you know, it cost the Mets almost nothing – if he's you know if he's even a quarter of the player he was at his prime this is a smart deal but i don't think anybody was excited about it i think everybody basically just was was not terribly offended by it at the best
1: yeah yeah i was okay with the signing that was about as good as it got and i think and you were too so we we the, the, the show was okay with the signing
2: I mean, I was pretty I was pretty pissed, but I didn't think it was the dumbest thing they'd done all offseason or anything like that. That would, again, be Jose Reyes. <laughs> uh,
1: who, who still has a zero batting average, right? I believe so. Well, let's just fact check that real quick. But I'm pretty sure he had a zero batting average and a sub-100 on base percentage. And, yep, that's still true.
2: I will say maybe maybe that's the one knock on Callaway so far, is that he started Reyes twice already.
1: Yeah, I don't know what that was about.
2: The one like, time what, what, he Was s- it the w- weather? The one time he said he just thought it would be a good matchup. I think it was Strasburg. I think he said, like, oh, it makes sense to me, Reyes against Strasburg. And I don't really know what that means (laughs) because (laughs) i don't think reyes i mean maybe i'm wrong maybe reyes has a long history of hitting strasburg well do you remember that
1: no not specifically and it just kind of feels like we didn't get to see a lot of the years that those two players overlapped right yeah i mean strasburg's been around longer than it than we think at this point you know this is like uh, when when Harvey came up and was like bursting onto the scene, and Harvey's better was a chant. The, the better part was about Strasburg. So, you know, it's been a while, but still, Reyes leaves the Mets after the twenty eleven season. Doesn't come back until sixteen, right?
2: Uh, yes.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So you have this this pretty long gap and some of Strasbourg's best work going on during it uh, you know so there's that we didn't get to see it and from the things I did see I don't recall it being particularly notable in one way or the other
2: right yeah it's uh, I don't know what was up with that I will say that I am better with those weird decisions happening in April than I am in August um, even if you know, Rosario might more need a day off in August than he does now. Um, it, it just seemed very odd to me. It seemed like a very, again, to invoke the name of my enemy is the very Terry Collins move to do. <laughs> um. So, I, I'm, but I'm happy that that seems to have stopped now.
1: Oh, yeah, for sure.
2: Rosario's been, you know, he's obviously still chasing the ball more than you'd like him to but I, I think he's been a a more pleasant surprise offensively than we expected him to be. Would you, would you agree with that so far?
1: Uh, yeah, and I, I think my expectations weren't necessarily low, but you had a little bit of noise being made about what he had done in his debut in the major leagues last year, and um, I forget who it was, but I think it was somebody whose work I respect who had written something about, you know, how worried should we be about Rosario or something? You know, just some sort of thing looking at what he had done. And I get it. You have that spotlight on you because of the prospect status that you had uh, not that long ago, you know?
2: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he was, you know, if you go back, to, I, I did the um, the season preview for Rosario.
1: Did I this year? Sure. I think he did.
2: I think I wasn't supposed to, but I wound up doing it at the last minute, and so I went back and I was reading what our prospect guys had said about him in the last couple of seasons, and I forgot just how. I mean, people were were incredibly high on him, you know, more so than I remembered. Not that they were, you know, saying he was going to be the next insert, you know, great infielder here. But everybody was was talking about how he was so dangerous because he was clearly a an, a defensive threat and an offensive threat. And then last season we saw very very little of the offense, and I didn't expect it to never get there. But I thought you know okay he'll he'll hit a little bit, but if he can cut down on some of the the sort of free swinging that he does, especially with two strikes, and they keep batting him in the nine hole a fair amount. I really like that. I'm totally, I'm totally on board with that.
1: Yeah. And then if he comes around and turns into somebody of that caliber of, uh, I don't want to cast these expectations upon him, but you know, Correa is probably ridiculous. Uh, and Lindor, uh, maybe also be, it could be a ridiculous thing, but somebody who's thrown into the mix with those kind of names, uh, if that naturally happens, I mean, he's so young. Uh, so if that happens as he adjusts and all that, then, hey, you know, great. He's a, a top or the middle of the order kind of hitter. Love to have that problem and deal it deal with it when you get there, you know?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the one uh, listener email we got, we put out the call for – Questions said I on Twitter, and we had one uh, person write in. Uh, who wrote in, Chris? Do you have the name handy?
1: Uh, no, but if I click a few times, I will. <laughs> <laughs> Here, hey, hey, ask the question, and then I'll, I'll say who said okay.
2: it. Okay. Uh, the question was asked, how how soon until we're going to miss, until we're going to feel, feel Darno's uh, absence or be hurt by Darno's absence? Um... I think it's going to be sooner than we'd like to admit, but I don't think it's going to be as serious as as we're necessarily fearing it will be either. I'm not saying serious in terms of the severity of the injury. I just think that with a team as here's the magic word again, balanced as this team appears to be, you can you can lose a player, especially a non-superstar player for an extended period of time without it being the world's biggest deal. Uh, But I think when you're really going to feel it is when Jose Lobatone is getting regular at bats for this team.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I I think so. Um, I don't think it'll be sooner, you know, if only because the overall expectation for Darno wasn't that great. Uh, The one thing I'll say is that I had been hopeful, based on his home runs and plate appearances last year and some of the power he had shown in the past, uh, you know, this is a guy who I thought could hit maybe 15 to 20 home runs as a half of a, of a playing time platoon, you know? Yeah. And that's, uh, that's not nothing. I, I don't know that they necessarily get that from somebody else right now. But, yeah. I mean, right now it feels like what is pain what does that feel like as a a met fan you know yeah Uh, so uh, at some point uh, like you said 161 and one is not going to happen but (laughs) at at some point they're going to lose a couple games in a row and maybe during one of those games you know whoever is catching has a bad night Uh, that would probably be the first time that you feel it
2: and uh, who asked that question chris
1: Oh, uh, the username Simka uh, Simca Weissman on Twitter at ripped underscore rebel underscore.
2: Well, we appreciate the question. Thank you very much. Um, a couple last minute things before we get out of here for the night. Um, I want to mention that it's amazing to me. That the Mets have not lost a game in division yet. Their one loss happened to come outside the division, which is not a huge deal right now, but will feel big later on. The fact that the Mets have won, um, you know, uh, is it now eight games in division? Yeah, I guess eight games against the Phillies, Marlins, and Nationals. If things are tight later in the season, though, that will make a big difference.
1: Yeah. Oh, and going back to two episodes ago who will be the first team the Mets sweep? My answer was the only team they didn't sweep. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I I always feel cheap about calling it a sweep when it's a two-game series, Uh, but the Mets did beat the Phillies two out of two times, so officially that would be the first. But yeah, I I said Cardinals, and then they lose one game to them and then sweep everybody else. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Um, And the other thing is, you know, I, I don't like it because it makes me just feel too optimistic, but, you know... When a team goes on a streak like this, and I remember this happening in twenty fifteen you're gonna see give it to if they win if they if they can somehow sweep the next series against the Brewers you're gonna see a lot of articles saying all the Mets have to do is go blank over the course of the rest of the season and they will wind up in the playoff contention you know um they're not quite at they just have to go five hundred yet, but they're not you know. They'll, you know, someone will say if the Mets go, you know, five fifty the rest of the season, they will wind up with ninety something wins or whatever the math is, and I don't like that because, like I said, it just, it just makes it look too easy. But the reality is, and you know, I, I get into this argument with 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 my dad all the time. But my dad always says, you know, you know, you want to get hot in August, you don't want to get hot in April. And my answer is, no, you want to get hot whenever you can. These these yeah. wins mean the exact same amount. Now we're at the end of the season.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. In Um,
2: fact, I might even argue they matter more now. Because they let you then use September as a time to prepare for the playoffs, as opposed to a time to fight for your life.
1: Yep, and they help build a case that when July comes around, the front office feels that there's some pressure to uh, make additions.
2: That is true also.
1: Uh, you know, wherever they, they may be, wherever there's a need, you know, say they say Darno is out for the season, uh, and they roll with Ploiecki and Nito Lobatone. Uh, you know, you get to July and they're in a spot that they're in now and you go, Hey, you know, rail Muto out there or even Lou Croy is out there. Uh, and we can get one of those guys at whatever the market rate is for the two of them. Um, you know, it's a lot easier to have pressure put on the front office to do that if the team is doing as, I mean, if it's doing half as well as it is now.
2: Yeah. If they're somehow at like 75 and 5 at the All Star break. Yes. Then, uh, then we'll, we'll revisit this conversation. <laughs> uh, so, what's the longest Mets win streak you can remember?
1: Uh,. Recency bias may be factoring in here, but it's 2015-11 games for me. I know there have been longer ones, but that is a stark standout in my mind. The other one, did they win nine in a row on that West Coast trip in 2006, or was it not? It it was nine in a row? I think so. Let's just double check. You're probably correct.
2: Yeah, I was at game... Maybe like seven or eight of that 2015 win streak, uh-huh. and uh, it was it was a it was a cold April night at City Field. Um, I got some uh, some s'more crusted bacon because I'm an American and I can do what I want to my body. Um, <laughs> and uh, I remember just there was this like buzz in the ballpark that I had never felt in City Field before because City Fields to that point had never hosted a winning team and it was the first time that there was that little bit of a glimpse of oh this place could really kick some ass if the team was good and uh obviously that season was a lot of fun for a lot of reasons but that was sort of the beginning of that feeling for me um in the middle of that win streak uh
1: are we we talking about the same year the
2: 2015 year right
1: Oh, oh, oh right yeah sorry I was mixed up between the O six West no, Coast No no no.
2: I went back as you were looking up the 06 one, I just went and talked about twenty fifteen to give you to give you some cover there.
1: Oh, there we go. Again, how the sausage is made, folks. Exactly. O <laughs> uh, six was nine out of ten, eight in a row.
2: Okay, okay.
1: All on a on a West well LA, Arizona, Philly. Okay. Um but that was still that eight game winning streak stood out in my memory.
2: It's gonna be a, uh, and you know the Brewers are not playing very well right now. So the Mets have a chance to extend this win streak by a couple games.
1: Yeah, um, and they may get Yelich back, but if so, just for the series finale. Yeah, and even even that isn't definite.
2: Yeah, I mean, who uh, boy? I mean, the fact that they're ten and one is just insane to me.
1: Yeah. You know, I was looking back today too, just to see a little bit of the last time there were eight games over, and it was more recent than I had thought. Uh, they got to that point a few times, and, and I think they got into nine games over at, as well at different points of the twenty sixteen season. Mm-hmm. But you know, they certainly didn't do it last year. <laughs> no, they did not. Um,
2: but yeah, we're gonna
1: have uh,
2: we're gonna have some fun, and hopefully, we're gonna get some sort of meetup happening. Later this month, or early in May, at City Field. So yeah,
1: yeah, we will try to get that together before you know a month slips away.
2: Yeah, uh, if only just to take in some of this, some of these fun games. Have you been out to City Field yet?
1: No, I have not yet. Uh, I think my uh, my first game this weekend series against the Brewers uh does not work for me for a variety of reasons all of which are good uh but just things going on uh sometime during the national series i will be there
2: i uh we probably shouldn't talk about this on the air but i might <laughs> i might try and do monday night if you're interested
1: uh that is the only night of the national series i cannot do
2: son of a bitch okay yeah <laughs> I-, I will be in manhattan That day visiting uh, a friend is is in town for a couple days, so I might be hanging out with him in the city. So I thought maybe let's take a train ride over. Nice, but we'll see.
1: Well, don't let me hold you back. I'm not, I
2: I, trust me, I'm not, but uh,
1: oh, oh, thank you.
2: (laughs) (laughs) No, but you know, it would be it would have been fun to uh, to catch up with the game, but we'll see. Yeah, uh, so I guess before we go, um, I don't think you and Allison predicted what the next week would look like at the end of last week's podcast, but let's, let's try and uh, let's try and guess the Mets record next week. And let's presume we're talking on Wednesday night again next week.
1: Right. They're coming off, you know, the next two series. Um, I mean, the only fun answer here is 16 and one, (laughs) (laughs) but let me just be somewhat of a realist and say, how about 14 and three?
2: Yeah, I'll get behind that.
1: You know, it, w- however it happens, uh, you know, just on average, two out of the three in the two series.
2: I mean, it, that's going to feel like a letdown. And it, that's a testament to how crazy the season's been so far. That if they're 14-3 and three this time next week, we're going to feel like it's a letdown.
1: Yeah. <laughs> they, oh, they lost two games? Who will be the columnist who writes like the Mets have lost twice as many games in the last six days as they had all season?
2: I think we all know the answer to that question, <laughs> and we're not going to say his name on the show. But he writes—he he writes for a, a paper in my home state.
0: This is Aaron York for Mason Avenue Audio, and today is quite a glorious day recording on a Wednesday morning, and the Mets are 9-1 and one after an amazing comeback win over the Marlins last night, in which the ball was just flying out of Marlins Park, and as Drupal Cabrera hit two home runs, as he continues to be a, a really underrated Part of the Mets lineup, and everything is hunky dory with this team. It's really hard to find uh, something to not be happy about with the way the starting pitching and the bullpen is playing. Even though uh, Jacob Degrom had a little bit of a rough time last night, they were the Mets were still able to come back because their lineup has been rock solid and they've been getting making more contact this year and they continue to get on base and hit for a little bit of power and while they don't have I mean they they have a they have a little bit of star power but I think what highlights the Mets lineup is the is the depth there are tough outs throughout and a big part of that not only is the way Cabrera is playing but Adrian Gonzalez we we talk a lot about how Shohei Otani is playing so well this year, so amazingly, historically well, after a a spring training in, in which some scouts said he looked like a bust. Adrian Gonzalez, obviously, he doesn't warrant that kind of attention, but he's kind of doing the same thing. He looked like he was still having back issues in spring training after a really terrible 2017 season in which he was held back by those type of injuries, but once we get into the regular season, he looks like he's 100%. He looks like he's back to being that old veteran who's going to be a tough out, and while he might not have the type of power that he used to have, or the type of power that he displayed in hitting a super clutch grand slam against Washington, he's still going to be a a guy who can move the lineup along and, and get a base hit when the Mets need it, and... And even play some good defense. As he's looked good on that on that side of the of uh of the ball so far as well. So, Gonzalez's been a really pleasant surprise, considering what he did in spring training. Although I was one of the few people in Amazing Avenue Slack Room that, not that I get everything right, but that was like this guy might not be so bad. He had ten straight seasons before last year of have a on-base percentage above 340. He is the prototypical professional hitter who just figures out how to get things done. And so far, he's looked like that. So hopefully that can continue, as well as as well as well how uh, how the rest of the lineup is hitting, as Ioannis Cespedes, despite being reportedly very ill, comes up with another big hit with the ground ball down the line that ended up being huge last night in... The Mets' win. I think this whole thing with Brandon Nimmo. I think he's going. I think he's going to be up again soon. And I think people are just overreacting to uh, just because of the the surprise that he was the guy who went down when the Mets decided to. Uh, well, they brought up Corey Oswald, but that was really just for one night because they knew Nimmo wasn't going to start against the lefty. So uh, the, it really is just a Zach Wheeler for Brandon Nimmo exchange and. Nemo being the odd man out because the outfield now consists of Michael Conforto, Jay Bruce, and Ioana Cespedes. And while Bruce has resumed taking reps at first base, as we saw on Twitter before the game on Tuesday night, it it looks like with Gonzalez playing this well, there's no no real need to rush Bruce over there to first base. So right now, the Mets would prefer that Nemo get at-bats. In AAA, instead of helping the major league team off the bench, which which does seem like they're they're sacrificing a little bit of that win now attitude to uh, to develop Nemo. But this is still a guy, as well as he's played in the major league in his cup of coffee last year and continuing at the beginning of this year. He's still a pretty inexperienced at the big league level, and it's it might and it could help them down the stretch because he's certainly gonna gonna going to play for this team in a big role down the stretch, no matter what, if they continue playing competitively, which thanks to this this great boost uh, they've gotten out to, they have a strong chance of playing competitive baseball down the stretch. is certainly going to help them there. The, the really only question is how long he stays in the minor leagues, it, and that depends on the health and how well everyone's playing. If you'd like to think if Adrian Gonzalez goes in a slump for a month, that they just cut bait and move Bruce down there and bring up Nimmo, but I think Gonzalez is a still a really really good player and I I don't see that necessarily happening. It's probably gonna be more injury related as to why Nimmo would get called up, but if if everyone's playing well, you you know you, they don't need Nimmo up there right now, and it's it's great to have him stashed as depth and stashed st- and stashed as the future because he's and I believe it was Sandy Alderson who who said it himself that he's still gonna be a really important part of this team's future. It might have been Mickey Callaway, but the point is that the Mets believe in this guy and they just want to get him some consistent at bats instead of bringing him up as a pinch hitter once every other game. So I don't have a huge problem with it. I think, <laughs> honestly, I think it was like Ted Berg said on Twitter that Mets fan just needed something to complain about after having after uh, winning six straight games, and then they made it their seventh straight game with the win on Tuesday. So hopefully everyone can complain or can calm down about the NIMO thing, and it will certainly help if the Mets keep winning, as they've got one more against the Marlins this week before they uh, they move on and uh, continue their tour through the National League. So, uh, so yeah, there's there's a lot to be there's a lot to be happy about. Whether it's Drupal Cabrera hitting a home run from both sides of the plate, like he's Carlos Beltran or Chipper Jones, and then Adrian Gonzalez. Playing like uh, like last year didn't happen, and then uh, Brendan Nemo, it uh, it'll work out in the long run for him if he continues with this amazing approach at the plate. He he got off to such a hot start, but it was only it was only uh, just a fewer than twenty plate appearances. So so it's not like this guy had like months of production under his belt, but it will hopefully work out for him. This has been Aaron York from Mason Avenue Audio.
3: everyone, this is Steve Saipa, and the minor league season has finally started, and I'm happy. But, since there are only three games last week, and actually Binghamton only played two of them because one of them got postponed due to uh, bad weather, I'm only going to do our first minor league player of the week segment next week. So I went over projected rosters over the last couple of weeks, so now that the season is in full swing, I'm going to do something kind of related. I just want to highlight some of the players that we aren't going to be seeing immediately or at all because of injury. So first up is let's just start top to bottom. Let's look at Las Vegas first. First guy up is someone that the Mets just recently signed, AJ Griffin. I don't know exactly what's going on, but you'll notice that he has not been assigned to Las Vegas fifty one yet. He only threw two uh innings in spring training. He threw one inning on March thirteenth and then one point one innings on March seventeenth and that was it. And he basically just has disappeared since. Um, During the end of the season last year, PJ Conlon was basically being used out of the bullpen. And they were basically gearing him up for a future role uh, as a reliever. But now he's back in the rotation for Las Vegas. So I'm guessing that the rotation spot that he is currently occupying was originally intended for Griffin. Maybe Griffin isn't hurt. Uh, maybe some other team showed some interest to in something like that, and the Mets and him are working something out. I don't know. Uh, I don't have any inside information there. But the season started, and who knows when we'll see him on the mound. Uh, catcher Jeff Glenn, he'll be starting his season on the DL. Uh, Glenn really hasn't played much, though. And with Jose lobatone on the team, um, Glenn really wasn't going to be getting that much playing time to begin with. Uh, another guy that is on the DL and is really not gonna be in that much playing time, even if he was healthy was Matt Obersty uh, with Dom Smith down there. you know, Oberste really wasn't gonna be seeing much time when he does come back, he'll be a bad off the bench, I guess, getting an occasional start when they want to rest Dom and he could even cover third base and get some time over there when David Thompson is being rested. But since Phil Evans is back in Las Vegas now, Evans will probably get those bats, so Oberti will really not be seeing too much playing time. I'm betting this year. The most notable AAA uh, starting his season, the eh, most notable A player starting his season on the DL, I guess this year is Kevin Kazmarski. Uh, he's a guy that Keith would probably refer to as a professional hitter. You know, he's been a consistent kind of 275 guy or so for his entire minor league career. He has a kind of simple. Contact-oriented line, drive, swing, he's one of those kinds of guys. In the PCL, he'll probably hit like 300 and add a little power, but even factoring that in, he's not really a guy that's being missed per se. Um, there just really isn't that much upside there. Brendan Nemo, um, who was sent back down to the minor leagues the other day, he should automatically get penciled into the lineup every night, and so, so should Bryce Brents. So that leaves Kasmarski basically competing with Patrick Biondi, Zach Borenstein, and Matt Dendecker. Honestly, no one in that group has that much more potential or his head and shoulders better than anyone else. So it'll actually be interesting to see um, how uh, De Francesco juggles every Next up now is Binghamton, AA, uh, the Rumble Ponies, and there's a few guys. One of whom is Jeff McMill, who's already been placed on the DL. Uh, he got into one game, and he went one with one for three with a homer. And for the past couple of years now, that's basically been his thing. In 2016, he got into three games. He killed the ball, and then he missed the rest of the season. In 2017, he started out the season on the DL. He got into four games at the beginning of the year. He hit 500 with two homers, and then he missed the next three months. And, you know, we joke around about how in the past the Mets have had middle infield prospects made of glass that had their careers ended by injuries. I mean, guys like Reese Havens, Robbie Shields. And it looks like Jeff McNeil is going to be in that list. I know Greg and Lucas still liked him this past off season when we did our prospect list. But for me, the McNeil ship has sailed, and it sucks because I liked him at one point, but just all the injuries constantly has really delayed uh, his basal maturation and what he should have done and become at this point. Another Binghamton infielder that's on the DL is Nick Sergakis. He's He's a guy that's actually surpassed um, all my expectations of him. In the 65 games he played at St. Lucie last year, he hit 252, 371, 432, which is pretty good uh, for a gritty Grishny infielder. That's you know there really isn't too much potential in there, but he's a fun guy to root for, and he's one of my you know quote unquote guys, but one of the non-prospect ones. On the pitching side for Binghamton. Joshua Torres and Ricky Knapp are both going to be starting the year on the DL. Uh, it's easy to forget that Torres exists, but he's had a, he had a solid year in St. Lucie last year. He was never a big international signing. When you look at his stats, it's not like they jump off the page at you or nothing like that. But he's relievable. He was a reliable reliever last season, and sometimes that's all guys are. Knapp, um, like McNeil, he was a guy that I was a fan of, but. That was a few years ago at this point, and time is time has passed, and I'm not really sure that he has that much of a upside anymore. I mean, he never had a huge upside to begin with, but I thought that maybe he'd be like one of those pitchers that were able to f- to survive despite lacking a plus anything because they just had so many different things that they could go to and use during a game. but I mean he was hammered in triple A last season. And it's looking more and more like he's just a guy whose talent level is maxed out in uh, AA. Lots of players have been there. Going down now to St. Lucie, uh, Michael Gibbons, Jeff Deal, Jordan Humphreys, and Colby Woodmancy are all starting the season on the DL. Uh, Gibbons isn't really an interesting player. And if it wasn't for the fact that he's an outfielder transitioning into being a pitcher, Deal wouldn't be either. Humphreys, we knew that he would be out for the season because he had Tommy John last summer. So basically, Woodmenzy is the only guy to be highlighted here. Um, He had hip surgery, and he's going to be out for the season recovering from that. He missed most of last season as well because he had a core injury. So again, now it's two seasons in a row. Same uh, like McNeil. And again, we're back to the Mets having fragile infielders again. Woodman C, you could argue, has the highest upside of all of the middle infielder um, starters, position players in full season ball for the Mets right now. He is a quick bat. He's a disciplined hitter. he, He works the count. So he didn't necessarily have the highest upside, but he was a guy that you could... It was exciting to watch because he could develop in a way that he could become a useful player possibly at the major league level. Now it's going to take another year before he's on the field and that's another year wasted in his baseball development. Going down to Colombia now, uh Wagner Lagrange was put on the DL uh for a undisclosed injury. But uh once he gets back, he should be getting it it should not be too long before he comes back. And he should be getting regular playing time once he does come back. The Columbia outfield right now is composed of uh, the two Stanford picks from last season, Quinn Brody and Matt Winokur. And then Rafael Gladue, um, who was the Mets' 16th round pick last season. And I'm not the biggest fan of Lagrange. I know a lot of people are. But he definitely has a bit more upside than Gladue. And he should be getting the playing time when he comes back. There's a couple, there's three guys that have technically not been assigned to Columbia, but if they were healthy, they would have. Uh, first one is Colin Holderman. He was, uh, he won't be getting assigned anywhere because he underwent Tommy John surgery. Uh, he's a guy that has talent, but who knows what will be left when he's finally able to get back on the field. He pitched 30 innings last year, and then he tore his labrum. He's going to miss all the season this year because of the Tommy John. Uh, That's a lot of time he's going to be missing, and, you know, all those injuries and all the surgeries could have a major impact on Colin Haldeman, the player. Uh, Thomas Zapucky is in the same boat as Haldeman. He had Tommy John surgery last season. He also threw 30 innings, and he's going to be missing pretty much all of the 2018 season, I'm assuming. I mean, he might show up in a couple of token innings at the end of the year, but, I mean, he's very talented, arguably, if he was healthy. Last year, he could have even been the Mets' number one prospect. So I would assume that the Mets will be a little cautious on this. But then again, who knows what the Mets are doing sometimes? And that kind of segues to this last player who would have been assigned to Columbia, and that guy's David Peterson, who suffered a quote-unquote arm injury near the end of spring training, and he's expected to join Columbia in a week or two. Now, the thing is, I have reason to believe that his arm injury is something that's just a little, more than just a little thing holding him up for a couple of weeks. I hope I'm wrong, but that's, like I said, I have a feeling, and the Mets don't exactly have the best track record here. Best case scenario, it is legit just something relatively minor, and all's well in a little bit, and he goes on and pitches a good season, and all this is, is put to bed, no, no issues. But I think that there's something more significant, and I hope that Peterson's season this year isn't wasted by them having him pitch through the injury, and then next season is impacted because they delayed a surgery that he could have had immediately out of the gate that instead he's trying to pitch through. So, fingers crossed, knock on wood. There's a couple of guys that haven't been assigned to any teams that could be an extended spring training or could have been hurt, but two guys that we do have confirmation of injuries are Dylan Snipes and Bryce Hutchinson. Uh, Snipes had shoulder surgery and he'll be out for a couple of months. And as a shortstop with a bad arm to begin with, shoulder surgery is not good. So it's not looking good for his uh, baseball career going forward when he's finally able to Get back on the field, because a lot of times shoulder surgeries sap arm strength, and his arm strength is not where it should be as his shortstop. So we'll see about him. And finally is Hutchinson, and his injury is a big deal. He's one of my guys, quote-unquote my guys, but he's also going to be good um, if everything pans out. He was probably my favorite selection in the draft last season – Overall, you know, uh, Peterson is a more polished pitcher, but, you know, I don't know. I found it a little bland. Nothing against him. And uh, Vientos, you know, he has a lot of upside, just like Hutchinson, but I'm always partial to pitchers, so Hutchinson is my favorite pick. Uh, Well, we don't want things like season-ending arm surgeries throwing off his baseball development, and that's pretty much what has happened. He's going to be out for the entire season. Um... So that's one season gone. Camden Plank, he missed the entire season last year, and his stock has fallen a lot because of that. And now the same thing is happening to Hutch. But, you know, Mets, what can I say? So those are some notable guys that are going to be missing from the early season rosters. And next week I'll be back with a happier, more exciting topic, our 2018 Mono League Players of the Week.
2: that does it for another installment of Amazing Avenue Audio. Thank you so much for listening. Please go to AmazingAvenue.com where you can find all the Mets news and analysis you could possibly need for this new season, as well as updates on the minor leagues, uh, fun stuff like the Mets mind boggler. We have a new t-shirt, Salt and Pepper Season. A lot of fun. Pick that up. And uh, everything else Mets related you need is at AmazingAvenue.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at AmazingAvenue. You can download this show directly from blogtalkradio.com or grab it from Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or the podcatcher of your choice. Please take some time, rate, review, and subscribe to it on Apple Podcasts. Those things help us quite a bit. You can email the show, podcast, at amazingavenueaudio.com. You can tweet at the show, which is the same as the website, at amazingavenue, or you can follow and tweet at our contributors directly. I am at Brian Intonap, Chris is at Chris McShane, Aaron is at Aaron P. York, and Steve is at Steve Saipa. So, um, as Chris and I said, next week we hope that we're here talking about the 16-1 New York Mets. But even if we're not, we'll still be having some fun. And even if the Mets lose every game between now and then, they'll still have a winning record. Which is crazy to say, and hopefully will not happen. I don't believe in jinxes, but I hope I didn't just jinx this. So until next time, let's go Mets.